Good morning, Faith. Uh, my name is John. I'll be reading from Ephesians 6, uh, 10 through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the word of spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Thank you, John. Appreciate that. Been good getting to know John over the last couple of years. I want to say, just prior to a baptism Sunday, a couple of years ago, we got to meet John, right? At the time, and done a great job surrounding himself with brothers in Christ and things, and so I just appreciate that. Thanks for that reading this morning. It's good to be with you. It's always good to be with you uh, on Sunday mornings. It kind of fuels me up. I kind of come in this last couple of Sundays, had some side projects at home and things are coming in dragging and then just the anticipation of Sunday morning starting and all of us seeing each other and stuff it just kind of wakes me up and gets me going and stuff so I appreciate that I hope that you had a very successful Valentine's Day this last week especially where we just had that really uh informative and kind of convicting marriage video that we just saw and everything I hope your Valentine's Day paid off for you uh, to me, or in the small house, it's an opportunity to remind my wife that, hey, I said I love you 20 some odd years ago. And, um, you know, I try to provide and I do the things that you can count on. It's like, we don't have to do all the extras, the fluff and the chocolates and all these other sorts of things. I don't do that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> some of you guys started nudging your wife. Hey, I told you, I told you we didn't have to. What do we guys always say, you know, Valentine's Day is just an excuse to sell chocolates and flowers. I'm not buying into the system. Someone created it. Well, the reality is, is yes, we had, we probably did at, on a wedding day or at an altar make vows that we would want to carry off into the future, that we made statements and promises that we still are exercising to the extent that we're still doing our duty, but sometimes we our lackluster in the in-betweens. And relationships require more than mechanical function in order to survive. When I say mechanical function, think of it how the world looks at relationships now, right? Again, we say that the pendulum swing of the world is we overcorrect, we overemphasize things because we lack the balance of the gospel. And so when the pendulum is swinging so far over into what makes relationships work in the world, it boils down to sort of the romantic aspects of things or the lust aspect of things. If there's an attraction to one another, then and that's what's supposed to fuel you or compatibility. We get along. We like the same things. We fit one another's lives really well. Once those two things break and fizzle out, then, well, we're just biding our time or the inevitable is coming our way and we'll end up breaking up and going off in our separate ways. There's a mechanic aspect to relationships that's missing in those circumstances called vows and promises and and uh, that commitment to making a promise, even when some of the compatibility issues don't work anymore or the attraction issues don't work anymore or something like that, that there's the vows and the commitments and the promise that we make that we still live on, which is the stuff of more substance. But that isn't where it stays, right? In order to have a relationship, you are supposed to have the in-betweens as well. You're supposed to have the communication. You're supposed to have some of the romance and all the other things that make that life together more enjoyable. It's not an either-or kind of choice. Whenever we decide on those two things, it's missing something. 
communications most often blamed for our marriage struggles or our relationship struggles. We just don't communicate anymore, but you have to show people, no, it's what you're communicating is the problem. You're communicating a lot. You're just not communicating the things that you want to have said or the things that you want to hear, but what's being communicated shows a lot about where your values are, where your priorities are. Even the lack of quote unquote communication is communication. I am communicating something to you. It's really only a symptom of what's really going on in the heart. So you heard the text this morning. What does any of this have to do with this text that we're coming into on prayer, which again, we'll be reading in the end of um, Ephesians chapter six. It's, it's subtly connected to this, but it's setting the stage for the fact that God has provided a relationship to us. He has covered the mechanics in the, in the sense that he has vowed to us. He's promised to us to never leave us or forsake us. He has promised to enter into a commitment and a relationship that is built on his strength, not on our weakness or our flimsy commitment. He's made that mechanical um, aspect of the relationship available to us. Those that receive Christ, that humble themselves and say, I- I'm a sinner, only your grace can save me, enter into that contractual relationship, if you will, as we're thinking in marriage terms of I receive your vows and I make my own. Fortunately for us, he's the one that's faithful at keeping them. We keep trying to wander away and he keeps coming and finding us and bringing us back. But that relationship from a mechanical aspect is is in our salvation in the vows that he has made to us. But there's also an expected intimacy that he wants to build with us. He wants to have that dialogue. He Not because he needs it like a Valentine who's been jaded saying, how come you never get me flowers anymore? Not because God is needy, but because he desires you to experience the joy of who he is. And we've talked in the past on how that's not egotistical of God to think, hey, I'm the greatest thing you could have because there's none higher than him. If he thought less of himself, he'd be guilty of being an idolater. I'll let you figure that out for the rest of our time together. If you don't hear anything else I say, you can do the theological gymnastics that go with all of that. But God has made a way for us to have an intimate relationship with us that is better and bigger than just a February 14th annual reminder. It's a daily interaction that we can and should, and how Paul's going to put it, we must have with him. The degree to which you and I come to the Lord in prayer, how we develop that intimacy of communication with him reveals where our true focus lies. It reveals what world, what battle we're really fighting in. Remember, we've been talking in Ephesians 6 that all that we are involved in is in a spiritual world. That that is the real world. The world of the unseen is actually the real one in which we're performing in front of. That's not to say that the things that we do in our day-to-day don't count. We're making the exact opposite point. That everything we do in the mundane is a part of the, uh, the impact it makes in the spiritual world. But that's the world that we don't want to give a lot of thought to. We don't want to give a lot of credit to. We don't want to entertain that notion because it's unknown to us. It seems unnatural and it seems bizarre to us. Paul is trying to bring us, usher us into that world saying, no, that's really where the battle lies. And to think that you can go into it or sustain yourself through it or to maintain a relationship with God without this communication that he's given us is is foolhardy and short-sighted. Paul has been listing out for us what's clearly needed for battle. He says that we have to gird ourselves with a belt that kind of cinches everything together. That is the truth of who God is. And the readiness that comes with that makes us mobile to be able to engage in the fight. He says that belt cinches everything up so the articles of clothing aren't loose, that we can be mobile. He's told us that he's given us his rightness or his righteousness, his purity. And he says, I want you to wear it like a breastplate. I want you to put it on like armor around you because our own righteousness is full of holes, right? Our goodness doesn't last more than 20 minutes. 
And so he says, I've got perfection for you, given to you by Jesus. The son came and demonstrated that he is perfection. He lived 33 years on this earth perfectly for us on our behalf. And he says, here, put the armor on. So, so we go into battle with his righteousness. We lace up boots of peace. We have peace with God. We're no longer at war with him like an enemy would be. Because he's reconciled us to himself. He's forgiven us of our sins and he's come and he's met us and he's made peace with us. And now we have peace with God so that we can have peace of God. We can have peace with others. He says that we can extinguish all the arrows of the enemy firing in us because we have a shield of faith. We believe that that will extinguish all of those attacks. And he says to put on the helmet of salvation. This is all that Jesus has has awarded us because of his faithfulness to the cross, his resurrection from the tomb. And he says, because of that, you have eternal security. You have salvation able to cover your head, to protect you in the most vital part of your of your of your body and to protect your mind. And then he said to us last week. That we fight, we go on attack with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which has been preserved for us to know it, to study it and to hide it in our hearts, as the psalmist says. And so last week we launched from there challenged to expand our view of the spiritual world beyond just this defensive struggle. We said that all of us are aware of the spiritual world whenever we're getting beat down. We make the expression, oh, Satan's on the attack. The devil's coming in on me and that's fine. It's okay. I'm not, I'm not looking down on us for acknowledging that, but that seems to be the only time we give the spirit world any credit rather than seeing, I have been called into it to, to swing that sword, that word of God into dark territories to tackle and, and, uh, and, and attack more territory for the kingdom of light. That we seldom see ourselves as being put on the offensive and instead we're just told to hold still and to resist in a defensive way. But Paul is calling us to both. And his prayer request, when we get to the end of our passage, you're going to see is for his own strength and boldness to stay on the attack. And it's pretty profound how he gets there. So let's go into our text. We're going to pick up in verse 18, where Paul tells us that we are to be praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. So we'll break down several of these phrases as we go forward, because in order to fight successfully in the spiritual or what we like to refer around here as the real world. We're going to need to ready ourselves for battle through prayer. Paul says that we are to be praying at all times in the spirit. Now, when he gets to this part of his list, he's not just adding this. I don't think he's just adding this as another thing in the list of all the great things that we've seen already um, spelled out for us. He's not just adding prayer as another piece of this, because remember, we said part of our temptation is we pick and choose the armor that we want. And I think if we see prayer in that same way, which is what we have a habit of doing, is that we we selectively, I'm just not a person of prayer. You know, that person's more gifted at praying. Why? Because they're eloquent at it or they know how to drop the right scripture bombs right in the middle of it or something. That's just not my thing. And so we have a tendency to segment out prayer. But I don't think Paul is meaning it to be just another item on the list. Not that he's making any of these things just individual items. They all interact together. It's all part of the armament. Prayer isn't just another effective weapon. It is the effective weapon, just like the sword of the spirit is the effective weapon, just like the breastplate of righteousness is an effective piece of defense armor. So we look at each of these individually as that's what I need. That's what I need to live by. Prayer, as it relates to all the other pieces, means that when we have access to the Lord in prayer, it's because of the righteousness that's been given to us. When we pray to the Lord and he actually listens to us, lets us show up in his presence, that's because of the peace that has been given to us that he has earned because he defeated our enemy and he's allowed us access to him. When we pray, we have to exercise faith. If I'm saying, Lord, please hear my prayer, and you're looking at me, you're like, he thinks he's talking to somebody. 
Because in my faith, I believe somebody is on the other end of the line listening. And then I have faith that the things that I'm praying for as they are in his will, those are the things that he will and can do. And it's only by the salvation, the helmet of salvation that's given to me that I can, that I can pray. It's through prayer that I receive that salvation. You know, sometimes we think that in order to be saved, in order to be born again, we have to have a specific order and set of words that we need to say. A lot of times we say to people, we led them through the sinner's prayer. Most of the people I talk to when they refer to that, they know it's not a formula. They know it's not, well, you have to say it precisely this way. It's just a helpful tool to lead people in from the place of, I know I'm a sinner. I know I don't have my own righteousness. I know I'm not right before God. I need his rescue. So I'm asking him to save me from my sins and be the Lord of my life. Not a very complicated prayer. Sometimes it sounds like, okay, God, I'm done fighting. I can't resist you anymore. I can't figure out my life. Please save me, rescue me, change me. Who knows what the prayer sounds like out of desperation or out of being led by others. But the reality is, is we come to faith in Christ through prayer. Even the sword of the spirit is related to prayer because as you and I are more informed in the word of God, our prayers are more focused. They're sharper. They're, they're more strategic because the word is guiding us in it. So Paul gives us some encouragements here, some, some qualifiers, if you will, on how we're supposed to pray. And, and as we go through these things, I, I want to really just, the, the main point I want to get across to you is don't think so much about form. Sometimes we get so hung up on form. Like I said earlier, somebody that comes up and prays very um, uh, smoothly or something like that, we think, that's a prayer. I want us to start eliminating the impressions, the human impressions we have of prayer and understand that it's dialogue between us and a God who will allow it which is the mind-blowing part that as I speak, he listens. If, if I come at him wrong, he corrects me. He'll change me over time. But he, he hungers, he desires to have that relationship with me. He's not trying to be impressed with my words. There's nothing I can do to impress God anyway. Paul says that we need to be praying constantly. He says, praying at all times. Now, fortunately for us, he's not looking at time in the same word that we get for like looking at the watch or measuring minutes or hours or things along those lines. That's not something that you can um, give to people as a formula. You need to pray for 15 minutes a day. You need to pray for four hours a day. We love to hear the stories of the old missionary leaders that would be on their knees for three or four hours at a time. And we're impressed by that. And I'm certainly not smirking at that. But we look at prayer as a block of time, as the more meaningful aspect of it. Paul is saying that I don't ever want you to hang up the line. I don't ever want you to be done with the phone call between you and the Lord. Keep coming in and out of that conversation throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout your life, in and out, back and forth. Just don't ever hang up on him. He wants to encourage a dependence in us, a constant communication in us, much in the way that he wants us to be in relationship with one another. We, we started off in the realm of the marriage world and stuff. Could you imagine if every time you wanted to speak to your spouse, say, it's speaking time now. Can we sit and look at each other and talk? In fact, anytime I'm doing marriage counseling and we're talking about communication and things, I hate all that language. You're like, what I think I hear you saying is, and you have to be so formulaic. And it's like, why are we complicating this? Talk to one another. But do it from a heart of, of humility and do it from a heart of wanting to know what the other person is saying. Don't answer the questions that aren't being asked. Don't come in with your suggestions before they're being requested. Don't just say the things to get them off your chest and start hear from the other person. And so, so Paul is saying, be in constant conversation with the Lord. It's funny around here, sometimes our staff will be walking up and down the halls. It will be like the next morning after having worked together all day the day before. And I'll walk by and I'll just start. I'll, I've done this recently with Pastor Tom. I'll stop in his office and say, okay, so what we're going to do with this? And he's like, hey, good morning. I'm like, oh, that's right. We had a whole eight hour, 12 hour, whatever block of time in between the last time we saw each other. I just, it feels continual because we live here. We're always here. Anyway, wah. 
This is how Paul also um, encourages us. He says in First Thessalonians, he says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, giving thanks. Here's the key, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Philippians 4 emphasizes this point, says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The reason why I'm pointing out something that's not talking about prayer, giving thanks in all circumstances, or uh, let your thanksgiving uh, and your requests be made known to the Lord. If you really feel that burden that I can't complain about everything in my life like I just did, if, if you're not going to worry about anything, then you better be praying about everything. If I'm going to get to the point where I'm not freaking out about the circumstances in my life or the, play, the, the things that are happening in my life, I better have such a dependent prayer life. It's because I know where to take these things. I know who's here to listen to me. If you're going to get to that place, it comes from a place of dependence. Jesus was instructing his uh, disciples and those that would hear on this matter of persistence in prayer and just kind of depending on on an answer in Luke 18. And I'm just going to read the paragraph for us here. It says that he told them a parable to the effect that they they ought always to pray and to not lose heart. I'm going to qualify this in a little bit. He said in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow, and this is a great description for her, he just didn't care. And he's the judge, but he's like, I don't care. I'm not afraid of God, and I don't care about what your needs are. And she knew this. There was a widow in the city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll give her justice so that she'll not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the righteous judge says and will not give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long, uh, delay long over them? I tell you, he'll give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? Jesus is equating our faith to our persistence in our prayer. And he's saying, you've got a terrible disconnected judge, one who could care less about the outcome of your life, but just so sick of you bugging him so much. How much more so would God who loves you, cares about the events of your life, want to hear your persistent prayers? Jesus is setting this up as an example for us. Paul says, don't hang up the line. Keep praying. Keep it constant and continual. But we are also to pray spiritually. Here's the qualifier for what we just heard. What you just hear in the parable almost sounds like permission for you just to nag God about whatever you care about. But Paul says to pray spiritually. He says to pray in the spirit. Now, most of us would think that we've had a spiritual prayer when we actually feel like we mean it. Does that make sense? There's something that attaches to it or or affects our emotions to where we feel like that was praying in the spirit because I was either caught up in the moment or I was, um, I was connected to with all my meaning and fiber in that emotional moment. And that's how we would normally define spiritual prayer. And I'm not even talking about the abuses of that that get kind of weird and wacky and stuff. I'm even talking about those of us who are just trying to keep it real and keep it before the Lord. We'll come out of prayer times where we're like, that really connected. That was prayer. That was a movement. That was a moment. This isn't really what Paul's describing. Remember the context. You're at war. Not a lot of time for you to sit aside and to get all worked up and to feel like, oh, wow, what a movement, what a moment, what a a great and glorious uh, um, ascension to the presence of God. This is a prayer in the spirit that is calling for backup and reinforcement, is yelling into the radio saying, we need a bomb follow up. We need to survive. We're on the front lines here. It doesn't feel very spiritual. It feels very urgent and chaotic. Because praying spiritually or praying in the spirit is not based on feelings. There's nothing wrong with that. But that shouldn't be the goal or that shouldn't be our qualifier for whether or not we are praying spiritually. It's not a now I mean it kind of prayer. Really, this goes back to what we said in John 14 when we were studying that gospel. When, when Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it for you. 
which sounds again like a blank check. If I say I finally want to be drafted into the NBA and I call out in Jesus name, I claim it, it's going to happen even at my ripe old age. And if it doesn't happen, then everyone says, you just didn't believe enough. That's not what we're talking about here. Jesus says, if you ask anything in agreement with what my name endorses, with what mission I have engaged in, or in the ways in which you see me doing things, if you pray in agreement with my character and my conduct and who I am, if you pray in relationship to my name, I'll give you anything. Not anything you want, but anything within that will. I'll do it for you. So as we're praying in the spirit, we are praying in agreement with how the spirit is moving. We're praying in agreement with the will of God. And we're saying, Lord, just do your thing and help me to be a part of it, a presence in it. Help me to, to, uh, to witness it. This is how Paul told us in Romans 8. He said, the spirit helps us in our weakness for we don't know what to pray for. Paul is saying we, not you guys. He's saying me, great apostles, starter of churches, people that will be reading my writings for thousands of years. We don't know what to pray for. Not as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, this is how I interpret this. Just my translation. Because Brent prays for things that God isn't in and he begs him for it, he goes, I'm going to make this count. I'm going to scramble up Brent's words and I'm going to present him that, Lord, this is really what Brent needs to be praying. He's not right now. He's praying, bail me out, help me out, give me more, whatever. Make me an NBA player or something like that. Really what he needs is he wants strength to walk in your will. What he wants is the, the ability to show grace and forgiveness to his enemies and all these things. So we're going to keep praying for Brent, even though he's not praying the right things to his father. Very loose translation. That's the conviction I received from it. If you want to study that deeper and come and correct me. But again, according to the will of God, that's how we pray in the spirit. An old commentator back in the day said, prayer is not getting man's will done in heaven. It's getting God's will done on earth. I'm not just trying to bend God's will my way. I'm asking him, how can I aid you in doing what you want to do here? That is not as easy as a prayer when you think about what that actually plays out to be, what it might mean in your personal context. It's not a very easy prayer. And so you need the spirit to, to, uh, to interpret that to the Lord. You need the spirit to endorse that prayer. So you want to be praying in his will. But Paul says also that we are going to be praying, uh, in a varied way. We're going to be praying differently. And I don't just mean praying different so that people go, Oh, that's a different prayer, but different types of prayer. He says with all prayer and supplication, all prayer in, in that sense is more of that general kind of just pray, pray with a deep sense of need, pray with a sense of dependence that you know the one you're talking to can actually do something about your prayer. So then he backs it up with supplication. He says, and then get specific. Start making requests to the Lord. Ask him for things. You said, we just, you just got done saying we can't. I'm just saying we don't know how to. We ask for the wrong things, but he doesn't say stop asking. He's patient with us. He's gracious with us. He will take even as we do with our kids. Sometimes we'll take these outlandish requests and it'll kind of cause a little smile to come to our face when that poor kid doesn't know what they're asking for or doesn't even realize how far away they are from getting what they want. There's no way I can do that for them. There's an aspect in which God hears our prayers and will take them and just pour all kinds of grace in the receiving of those prayers. But he wants us to keep trying. He wants us to keep going to him. He wants us to ask specifically as we get further into this text on behalf of other people, on behalf of the things that he really wants to do in your life. So Paul is saying to get specific in your prayers, pray, request prayers. There's nothing wrong with that. It is a form of prayer. My question for you is, are those the only prayers you pray? 
That's why he has, that's why he says all prayer and supplication because he's indicating there are different ways to come to the Lord, different seasons in our lives, different moments in our lives. Sometimes you pray all different things in one prayer session, for lack of a better word. There are many different circumstances that are going to require different approaches to prayer. We, we already said that the, the prayer of the context that we're in in war means it's probably going to be more urgent, a little bit more humanly chaotic. Lord, I don't even know what I'm asking for. I just need you to rescue me. I need your help, but I'm, I'm just showing you I trust you and depend on you. Please make my words mean something here. That's one form of prayer. There's a time to be separate. Like we, we feel like on Sunday mornings, we can come in worship and adoration. We have, we can block out the things of the world and say, Lord, I just want to lift your name up this morning. I, I just want to be reminded how good you are. This music is bringing that to mind. And I want to offer that up to you or this time in prayer or, or testimony or something. It's all just reminding me how good you are. That's a form of prayer. And there's always time for that. Sometimes we have to just come to him and confess. I don't know how many times I come to the Lord and say, I know what I should pray, but right now I just feel kind of blocked from praying the right things because I know I'm not right with you. So change me, forgive me, help me to clutter away all the stuff that I want to hold on to that you've already said you've let go of because you've forgiven me in it because your mercies are new. So, Lord, I just got to confess this to you, or I just got to give you thanks. I got to thank you. Go through the list. Spend some time just going through the list. You'll be amazed at how the list will grow once you start it. Pray prayers of intercession. Come to him on behalf of other people that you care about. We'll talk about even some of the people you don't care about. Come to the Lord on behalf of others. It's an intercession prayer. Mediation prayer. I'm amazed. I, I saw it again in part of the annual Bible reading and stuff. I saw how Moses in his humility just kept coming to the Lord on behalf of these people that any of us would have given up on so much earlier in the journey. And he just kept saying, Lord, put it on me, put it on me. Don't wipe us out on behalf of or because of the, the, the wickedness of the people. Do this for your name. Moses kept mediating for the people that couldn't do it for themselves. Paul's also telling us to pray vigilantly. He says, keep alert. He says, having, having challenged you to pray, this is how I want you to keep alert, to keep on the ready. And this is, I think, direct imagery to the battlefield. You have to stay alert in those environments. The moment you start relaxing or start taking in the scenery of the landscape is the moment you get taken out. Didn't Jesus experience this when he was preparing himself for the greatest test of his whole life, which was to, to go through the process of his beating and flogging and the, the slow and agonizing process of his crucifixion. And as he prayed in agony and in anxiety through the garden, and he was so disappointed in the fact that his disciples wouldn't even journey through that, carry that burden with him. And they were, they were scolded in a sense from him. He says, guys, brothers, brothers, best friends. You see, I'm suffering here. You couldn't even spend the night in prayer with me. Well, we didn't know, Lord. You didn't specifically request us to pray with you. You didn't, I wanted to pray for you specifically and you didn't spell out exactly the whole, like, oh, you were afraid of sweating great drops of blood and everything. You didn't get to that level of detail. I just didn't know how to pray for you. You can see how we'd make all kinds of excuses on why we wouldn't carry the burden with somebody else. Jesus says, no, I need perseverance from you. I need your constant attention because your enemy, like a roaring lion, is walking around and he's hiding in bushes. He's ready to jump around corners. He is going to devour you. If you start slacking off, he'll get you. So Paul is saying, pray with urgency. Give it constant attention. I came across something this week that that told me that I am officially an old man. I'm going to just share this part of my journey with you. I was pulling up YouTube. Sometimes I'll pull up song playlists and stuff to study to and have in the background. And somehow the algorithm said, you need to see this. And it was a live cam of an eagle nest in Big Bear Valley, California. Anybody else want to confess having clicked on this? Thank you, my sister. I relate to you and I just, I'm telling you, it just happened. You know, I just click on it 
because apparently eagle eggs take 35 days to go through their whole process and hatch. And when I saw the video, probably why it was picking up in popularity, uh, she, Jackie, Jackie and I are friends now, Jackie the eagle, uh, she's getting ready to, to hatch these eggs. She's 35 days when I first clicked on it. So it's like it could happen any moment. And that's all it takes, right? Anything could happen at any moment. And this webcam is affixed to a, a tree. She doesn't know that's there. She doesn't realize she's a celebrity. She's having her own Truman Show experience and nobody knows. And all you see behind her is this amazing vista of California Lake and mountains and everything. It's just so relaxing. And, and you're just watching this and you're transfixed by this whole process. But what I've noticed is mom is laying on her two eggs. It's adorable how she gets all nestled in there. I have to keep showing my kids. Look, she's changing positions. She starts going like this, getting them all warm and toasty. She looks adorable, and, and eagles have always been my favorite animal, and so I'm just fascinated by them. But she, I see her rest from time to time, but it's only when all the other threats have gone to sleep themselves. All during wake time, which is hours upon hours. Now, I'm not just watching it hours upon hours. Please understand. It's in the background, though. I do check on it every once in a while. Uh, um, so I'm in it with her, you know. And uh, But anytime I check, she's just doing this. She's looking everywhere. You hear every little sound, and her head's going this. Planes coming overhead. Her head scoops down a little bit, and she looks up. She's just making sure if that thing gets any closer. She doesn't know what it is, right? She is constantly alert. This is what Paul is talking about. Praying in vigilance, having your head on a swivel and birds like almost go around, right? It's like, she's looking way behind and all these kinds of things. She's got all the degrees covered and, and she is not relaxed until she knows the threat is behind her. This is, I think what Paul is getting at because the biggest threat to an urgent prayer life is a lack of care for others. She is so vigilant and urgent because she's making sure those two eggs make it through their whole process, that those, uh, those babies are coming and she's ready for that because of her protection for someone else. The reason why you and I don't pray urgently enough is because we just simply don't care about other people's needs as much as we should. The prayer list would never end if we did, right? So this is how we ready ourselves for battle through prayer. But we also need to ready others for battle through prayer. Let's look at the rest of our text here. Picking up at the last part of verse 18, he says, making supplication for all the saints, for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is not that subtle to the readers in Ephesus when he says, I want you to pray for all the saints. Remember what we've worked through earlier in the book that there could have been discord intention naturally in that church because they were coming from different walks of life. We had slaves and slave owners in the same church. We had um, Greeks and Jews in the same church. We had all these natural barriers that would have caused division and wedges against people. And he's saying, don't exclude anybody. Pray for even those that you're kind of having a hard time being in Bible study with. Pray for those that you're having a hard time serving in nursery with. These are all the things going on in Ephesians, in the Ephesians church, because they had natural tensions and discord amongst each other. And so Paul isn't saying, hey, pray for the ones that you're close to. Pray for the ones in your accountability group. He's assuming that's going to happen. He's saying, pray for all the saints. Remember, the entire book is leading us towards unity amongst the, the believers in Jesus Christ. You don't get any more unified than until you start praying for the needs of other people first and then start even praying for those and their successes and their blessings of the people that you might be at odds with, the people you might be at disagreement with, the people you know need grace and forgiveness and healing and any of those things. So Paul is saying, pray for all the saints. He doesn't come out and say, especially those that you're upset with and everything. I'm making a bigger deal out of something he's not saying. I understand that. But we can't miss that aspect that he had already been dealing with some of the tensions. 
dealing with some of the missteps, saying the whole testimony of who we're following, all the unity that Jesus has given to us, the peace that he's given us between us and God when we were at one time enemies falls apart if you're not willing to pray for each other. He says, pray for all the saints and also for me. You see, prayer is an our and us thing just as much as it is a me or an I thing. Keep in mind that the Lord's prayer started with our father, not my father. Your prayer life is at its strongest when it's focused on the blessing and success of others rather than being consumed with your own personal requests and needs. Please hear what I'm saying. Your stuff still matters to God. You still speak to the Lord about your things. But keep in mind that proportion says a lot about who you're fixated about. I, like any of you, would struggle with how do you pray effectively? How much time do you put in prayer? It seems like the tasks of the day are just calling for my attention and my own personal drive makes me um, kind of naturally bent on. I'll ask God for forgiveness uh, uh, rather than permission and guidance. And I get going and then I come back and say, oh, and by the Lord, way, Lord, bless all these things that I'm into right now. And so I was always plagued by this and struggled with this and said, you know, when people bring things to me to pray for and it gives me that assignment, I feel pretty faithful to that. I'm good at that. But just carving out my own space and doing it regularly and repeatedly and and in a sense, meaningfully, I know that's a selfish thing of saying it, but meaningfully, how do you get there? And then the idea came to me. I'm very much a list person. I have little sticky notes all over my desk and all these things. And so the things I can check off are the things that keep me going and allow me to accomplish more and stuff. And so I know that prayer lists are not a a, a new fad or anything like that. People have been doing them for years. But for some reason, I hadn't just come up with my own. And uh, so I had a... um, uh, kind of an empty journal booklet that one of my daughters had given to me for, I think, a a birthday and stuff. And it had been just a nice decoration on my coffee table in my office. And I was like, why don't I fill that up with some lists and see what that does for my prayer life? And so I have several different lists of people that I'm involved with or responsible to or something. And so I just have their names and most of them have spouses and then children and all these kinds of things. It was amazing. It was just five or six lists. I don't have the time to pray for all of the things that the ideas that come to me and I'm able to spend quote unquote more chronological time, even though the Lord wants me to be in seasonal time, but I can spend more actual minutes and hours in prayer for people just because he's using that as a way to to help me enter into that. And, and so whatever it takes for you and to think about your own personality, your own schedule and that sort of thing to be thinking from the standpoint of how can I be lifting up the needs and the burdens and the blessings of other people? The Lord, I believe this, the Lord will give you all the time that you feel like you're losing, especially if you're giving it on behalf of somebody else. He will give you that time back. So Paul is going to say to us that as we pray for other people, keep two things in mind, that we can pray unitedly. I think there's a togetherness in prayer. If we share the space of prayer, that means that at times we come together, we, we bring our bodies together in the same room and we say, let's pray together. There's some kind of power and there's some kind of effect to that. But also as we share topics of prayer or personal needs or something, we're saying, hey, let's pray for this kind of thing, which is what we've been trying to emphasize with our Ephesians 3.20 focus. If we're saying, Lord, do the big stuff that we can't even imagine you do based on that verse. If we share the topic together, then we've got hundreds of people in the same church praying for the same thing. That's why we do that. But also to share the times. 320 again is a time thing and just thinking of the fact like, wow, we could have bunches of people praying at this moment over the same things. I've told you before, but it's the coolest thing. I'll have people visiting the church or we're catching up or we're meeting and all of our phones start going off at the same time. I'm like, I got partners in ministry when that happens. It's pretty amazing. We will be having a, a, a different kind of prayer meeting. 
um, that will happen over Zoom in a week and a half or so. It'll be a week from this Tuesday. It'll be on the 28th. And we want to continue to ask the Lord, lead us into our city, give us um, power and effectiveness, give us creativity, give us faithfulness, give us laborers for the harvest, harvest. So we want to pray towards those things. And so on the 28th at 630, I'll be hosting a Zoom kind of open invitation. You guys can log in from home, or your car, wherever you are. And I'll revisit some of the things that we've talked about in terms of the vision. But then we'll have some folks leading us in prayer and we'll be able to participate together the same time over the same topics, maybe not in the same space, unless we want to call the internet a space, which it is quickly becoming. But that's the way that we'll go about that as one of our tools and one of our weapons of prayer that we're slaying the darkness with. Praying together as collectively as saints shakes heaven and earth in mysterious and sometimes intangible ways. Praying for all the saints battles the dark forces of things like we've talked about division and other things. It's attacking the darkness when we do these things. The last thing I would say about this way we pray for each other is to pray supportively or think in terms of military supply, calling in reinforcements. Paul is saying, I'm asking you to pray for me as your representative who's going to be in unique places that you can't be or won't be. I'm asking you to give me words and boldness and to be able to declare before those, uh, before my audience, the truth or the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's saying, I'm, I'm asking for outspokenness or, or bluntness, not shying away or coming at it from a, a real nuanced perspective. If they put me on a stage or in an audience, I'm going to speak the truth clearly. That's what I'm asking for you. He says, my personal prayer request. You think about how astounding this is. Most of our prayer requests, I'm not picking on you. I'm picking on us as a people. Most of our prayer requests are deliver me from fill in the blank. Now think about it. Our health prayers, all these other sorts of things are usually a, Lord, release me from this challenge for your name and for your glory. Yes, we want to celebrate the miracle. But what if God says, I've got more to do through you as a result of being in that place that you're not even asking me about? Does the spirit have to groan and change that prayer? And say, really, what they're asking for is release from the burden. But really, Lord, what we're about is giving purpose and meaning in the burden. Paul doesn't pray to be released from his captors. He says, as I'm brought further into my captivity, I know this is where the mission lies. Chris Nanakin says this often when he comes and visits with us, a missionary to the closed countries of the world and stuff. He says, I'm going to places that others won't. And can't go. He says to me all the time, he goes, because of the color of my skin, because of the fact that I speak different languages and everything, they'll let me in places. He goes, if you show up, Brent, to go and try to, he goes, they'll arrest you on the spot. You'll be locked up. No one will see you for years. So give me your money. I'll go do it. <laughs> you see, there's, there's some, there's some impact and some strategy in that to understand that, that that's where, um, Paul is saying, I am going to those places. So, so I'm not asking, for freedom. I'm not expecting to be at the potluck next week with you guys. I'm going to represent you. I'm going to represent Christ. I am an ambassador in these chains. It's profound if we really think about it. Lord, how often do I pray for release when maybe you're giving me a, a greater strategy? Maybe you're giving me something better than I could have ever imagined. The key point here is that spiritual prayer desires God's outcomes more than our own. That's what praying in the spirit looks like. I'm not saying I'm bold enough to anticipate that. I'm freaked out of my mind. But Lord, that's where you come in. You'll give me the strength when the time is right. Let's wrap this up now. Our prayer ties all of the armor of God together. I've been so appreciative of all of your response to this message series and, and your participation with me and part of my study and encouragement and things. I want us to see how important prayer ties all of this together. It is a necessary component of fighting the battle that we often can't see. Instantly praying to the Lord in an invisible kind of world just brings us, ushers us into that spiritual world of what we call the real world. So we need to be engaging in that continually. 
you say, I can't really do that for long periods of time. I can't keep my concentration. I'm with you. Man, I have a whole bunch of things I can't wait to pray the Lord about. I got three sentences in and I'm thinking about eagles and nests and all these other distracted things and all these kinds of, I don't know. Maybe praying shorter, but more often keeps our prayer focus together. Don't put time as the big, I prayed for an hour. I must be doing things for the Lord. Keep the line open and go to him often and regularly. There's something to be said about time spent in prayer. Please don't hear me talking you out of that discipline. Prayer, though, at times thrown up in a desperation, is meant to be a working partnership with the will of God for our life and the lives of others. We need to pray specifically, Lord, I need you. This person needs you right now. I'm throwing out a lifeline. But God has given us many different ways to approach him and all should be a part of our regular practice. Let's not overthink the mechanics, the words, all these kinds. A lot of us won't pray in public because we don't have the right words or phrases. Ugh, strip that away. Let's humble ourselves and say, I don't know. I just need to talk to him. And if he'll hear me, if you're saying he'll hear me, then I'm all in. I know it's scary, but it shouldn't be. Make the focus of your prayer the most important part. We need to keep a vigilant watch over our hearts and the lives of others through prayer. Think of that eagle in the nest looking in every direction at all times through prayer. The impact that we could have on the forces of darkness and the unity of our church just by simply praying for one another would be more than we could ask or think. Because it would be by the power of the one who has conquered all and he's the one who's just waiting to talk to you. He wants to keep that relationship alive and open because he can. He, he allows us to simply just come to him and speak and to hear. Would you please stand? Let's pray together. Lord, we know it's not in the eloquence of our words. It's not in the brilliance of our ideas. It's not in the variety of our topics that we can bring to you and just talk to you, Lord, we can just talk to you. We don't take it lightly, Lord. We don't come at you flippantly or without respect. You paid too much for us just to be able to walk into your presence. But at the same time, Lord, you've stripped away all of the the pomp and all of the material need and all of the uh, ornaments and all of the other things that used to be a part of approaching you in prayer because you want a relationship with us. You ripped that veil in half so that we could come and be in your presence. And so, Lord, forgive us for squandering this great access. Forgive us, Lord, for making our prayers or the lack thereof about other things rather than just being amazed at the fact that you're hearing me right now as I talk to you. As I think about five other thoughts in my mind, as I think about wondering whether or not people are going to hear words that make sense come out of my mouth, you're still listening, looking for the content of my prayer and just glad that I'm entering into a dialogue with you. I can't believe it. So, Lord, help us to be amazed by this and help us to step into this boldly because that's what you've encouraged us, commanded us to do. And let's do it for others, Lord. Help us to get a greater burden for the needs of those around us, knowing that the simple but most effective thing we can do is lift them up to you, to bring them up before you. I don't know what you do with that. I don't think it's in the numbers of people. I think it's in the heart and the care of it. So multiply it, Lord. Do it to great effect as we carry the burdens of our brothers and sisters. Help us to step into the territory of darkness, Lord, swinging a sword of your truth, tackling and conquering new territory for your kingdom. Do all of this, Lord, through your powerful name. And it's in that name, the name of Jesus, we come to you in prayer. Amen.